a year or so ago, God began to speak to my heart about having a time at Sugar Creek Baptist Church of 40 days of prayer. Not just preaching on the subject of prayer for a few weeks, but actually having an emphasis in our church for 40 days of prayer. I've never done that before. Didn't know how to do that, but I began to feel a real pull in my heart to do it, and I talked to some of our staff about it, and they agreed. This is, they, it resonated in their heart too, and we decided this would be the time. Right now, in this time at Sugar Creek Baptist Church's life, we would have this 40 days of prayer, and today we begin that 40 days. I want to talk to you about this very opportunity. I am praying for revival at Sugar Creek. I'm praying for revival on the Missouri City campus. I'm praying for revival here at the Sugarland campus. I'm praying for revival at the Richmond Rosenberg campus that isn't even going to start for another year. I'm praying for revival in the hearts of our members. I'm asking God to move in our church's life and to change us from the inside out. I'm asking God to bring brokenness to me and brokenness to you and brokenness to us of everything in our life that stands between us and God to move those things out of our life and bring revival to our hearts. I am praying... I am praying for the, the empowering of God in our church. I am praying for the work of the Holy Spirit in this church. I am praying that God would provide for us all that we need in this church. I am asking God to teach our children how to pray. I'm asking God to teach our teenagers how to pray. And I'm asking God to give a hunger into the hearts of our teenagers to begin to gather as groups of teenagers and begin to pray for each other and pray for this youth ministry and, and pray for their lost friends. I'm asking God to raise up families all across this church, on all of the campuses of this church, to begin to pray in their homes as families, of husband and wife to pray together, of kids, parents and, and adult and, and, and children to pray together, as brothers and sisters to pray together, to pray together as families. What would it mean to Sugar Creek if across all of our churches our families began to pray together at home? I'm asking God to move in the hearts of our parents to instead of worrying about our kids, praying about our kids. And asking God for great prayers, strong, mighty prayers for our children. I'm asking the adults of this church and the teenagers of this church to open their hearts, open our hearts, to begin to pray together in groups. This is what God began to impress on my heart, that we were to be called to pray together as groups, groups of teenagers with teenagers and groups of adults with adults, to be involved with groups that are already parts of groups that we're involved in, but also ad hoc groups, informal groups that God begins to lay on our hearts to bring together. Members of this church coming together, maybe in your home, and praying and asking God to bring revival in this place. 
We're beginning today a series entitled 40 Days of Prayer. And in this series, we're going to be talking about how to learn how, what prayer is about, and how to engage the heart of God. How to go deeper in your prayer life than maybe you ever have before. How to have a more effectual prayer life than maybe you've ever had before. And I'm asking God to do that in these 40 days. Over the six weeks that this will involve, it is going to be a teaching team series. Every year, at least one or two series, I have as a teaching team series where I invite some other pastors on our team to join me in teaching the series. I've asked Pastor Tim Homa, who is going to be the pastor of the Richmond Rosenberg campus, to join us. I've asked Pastor Libin Abraham to be a part of it, and uh, who's the, the Missouri City campus pastor. And I've asked Juan Carlos, Pastor Juan Carlos Heredia, to join us, who is the Spanish pastor, and us four together, we have been praying together and planning together this series, wanting God to use this series to take our church to a deeper level of prayer. At the same time, in our connect groups, our connect groups will be teaching about prayer just as much as we are teaching on the platform about prayer during these six weeks. But a major part, we've asked a major part of the connect groups to just pray. A period of teaching about prayer in the groups, but also a period of time in each connect group to just pray together. This morning as we begin this series, I have a goal. My goal in this message is to show us from God's Word and from church history that God's desire for us to come together and pray as small groups is deeper and stronger than maybe we've ever understood before. That God expresses His power and God moves in the life of a church as that church prays in groups together. In my heart, from this message, I'm hoping that a new hunger to pray together emerges for the empowering of this ministry and the empowering of our lives individually and the empowering of our families. Yes, I want us to pray individually. I want us to go and spend time with God in these 40 days to every day begin a new habit, maybe for many, to pray every single day, to spend time with God. Our individual prayers builds our relationship with God. But my focus in this message is about the importance of praying together to become more comfortable in understanding the power that happens in our church when we have groups that are meeting together to pray. We pray at the beginning of meetings. We pray at the beginning of Bible studies, and we pray during our services, and that's great, and we're going to keep doing it just like that. But there is also something special that happens when we gather just to pray. A more powerful thing happens in those moments of prayer than maybe we have ever realized before. I am wanting to become us to become convinced that God is sovereignly ordained to empower this church 
that he intends to use this church in a greater way than we have ever realized before. To He has ordained to use this church if we are willing to come together as a church and as individual groups and pray together. God will use us like we have never understood before. What I'm asking you to do is this, that you begin in these 40 days to pray individually maybe more often than you ever have. We have a workbook that we're inviting you to use, and as you use this workbook, it will help guide you in individual prayer to God. But then you expand it and that your family begins to pray together. For some families, that's a pretty scary thing to do. But I'm asking you to get past the discomfort of praying with your family members and do it and learn the great joy and the power that happens in a family when the family prays together. And then I'm asking that you open your heart to begin praying with other groups of people. I'm asking you to pray for revival in this church. I'm asking you to pray for revival in your heart and that the power of God would move in this church. In New York City, in 1857, there was one man who was an unknown. Nobody knew who this guy was, Jeremiah Lamphere. Here's a picture of Jeremiah Lamphere. Nobody knew this guy. He, 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 he was not just unknown, but he had never done anything of notoriety in New York City especially. But God's Spirit began to touch his heart and said, I want to use you to begin a revival in New York City for crying out loud. And he said, God, how in the world would I even be able to do such a thing? And God says, I want you to begin gathering people to pray. And so he was just trying to be obedient to God. He created some leaflets. He started passing out leaflets to people along the, the streets and people in businesses and people in his church and just invited all these people to come and pray on Wednesday at noon. He could hardly wait to get there. There would be thousands of people. When he got there, there were six people. Six people of all the people he'd invited came to pray, and they prayed for an hour. And there was a sense in their heart that this was of God. We were to keep doing this. Let's come back and pray next Wednesday at noon and invite other people. And the next Wednesday when they came back, there were 20. And the next week, there were 40 and within five, six weeks, that whole worship center of that church began to be filled with people. God was starting to stir the hearts of people and, and to begin to call the people of God to prayer. And in six months, I kid you not, this, this number is accurate. In six months, 10,000 people were gathering to pray, not at noon on Wednesday because there wasn't room to do that. They were coming on Tuesday at noon and Thursday at noon and in churches all over the place were filled with people. 10,000 people in New York City were gathering to pray every week and ask God for revival in New York City. At the end of two years, one million people had come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, directly affected by the prayer meetings that were happening all over the city of New York. And it began to affect even New York State and into other states. God brought revival, but he started the revival. He started this whole movement of the power of God with groups praying. 
So what will God do at Sugar Creek Baptist Church? I don't have the slightest idea. All he's told me to do is to gather groups to pray. Get people to begin to pray individually and to gather groups to pray and to trust him. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Here's what I do know. I do know that God wants to empower his work by his spirit. The book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. Luke had also written the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts as a sequel to the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts because he was trying to answer two questions. First question is, what happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because all four gospels, including the book, the gospel of Luke, ended at the resurrection of Jesus. Well, what happened after that? It's Luke that tells us that the Holy Spirit of God began to move in the hearts of these disciples and that Jesus did not stay for four hours or four days or four, uh, 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 or 14 days, but for 40 days. For 40 days after the resurrection of Christ, Jesus was with these disciples, teaching them about what the crucifixion meant, what the resurrection meant. He was preparing them for the ministry that he had them to do. And then when he had finished, he gathered them all together, and he gave them what we call the Great Commission. Luke is also trying to answer a second question, and that is, how is it that a small group of believers after the resurrection of Jesus Christ 30 years later is hundreds of thousands of Christ followers all over the Roman Empire and with all these churches popping up everywhere? How did this happen? And Luke is writing this book called the book of Acts to answer those two questions. The book of Acts is oftentimes called the Acts of the Apostles. In fact, if you opened your Bible up and you opened it up to Acts, it's probably going to say the Acts of the Apostles. It's not because that's the name Luke gave it. It is because over time, that is the traditional title of the book. But I don't think the title is good. And I will tell you why. You see, when you study the book of Acts, you discover that the book of Acts is really only about three of the apostles. It's about Peter and John a little bit and Paul. And three-fourths of the other apostles are barely even mentioned. Only in chapter 1 and 2 are they even mentioned. So how in the world could this be the Acts of the apostles? It is the Acts. But the Acts of whom? Before the crucifixion, Jesus gathered his disciples together, and he said in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Jesus was saying to them, I'm about to die. I will rise again, and then I will leave. And when I leave, I will not leave you alone. I will send the Holy Spirit to come, and he is with you now, but he will be in you then. I'm calling you out to do something that, is, that uh, requires greater power than you have, and he will come to live inside of you, and he will be your power. 
Then after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, after the 40 days was finished, Jesus gathered his disciples right before he left. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said to them, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was saying to these disciples, I am now calling you out to do something you can't do. I am calling you to reach the world. You don't have the ability. You don't have the education. You don't have the training. You don't have the, the, the strength to do it. But I am sending my Holy Spirit who will come inside of you and empower you to do what you cannot do by yourself. The Bible says to us that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Of us in the 21st century, he comes to live inside of us at the very moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. This is exactly what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 8 verse 9. And the Bible also teaches us that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ that the Bible calls the church at the point that we're saved. At the point we're saved, he baptizes us into the family of God right then and there. But even though the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us and wants to be our power, he is not our power until we yield ourselves to him. The more we yield ourselves to God, the more we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, the more he fills us, the more he empowers us, and the greater he uses us. The key in the Christian life is to finally come to the place in which those rooms in our heart that we have pushed God out of, and no, sir, you cannot affect this part of my life, we open the doors and let him in. Those closets that we have closed up and said, God, you cannot touch this area of my life, we open up those closets and say, oh, be God of every inch of my heart. And the more we do it, the greater the power of God flows through our lives. From the beginning to the end of the book of Acts, there is one abiding theme. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through people, any people, who are willing to yield their hearts to Christ. It starts at the beginning of the book of Acts. It begins with, with the 120 who were Christ followers that are gathered together and they pray and God's Spirit moves upon them. It's called the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved in one day. Then there is Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit and God is using them. Then Stephen and then Philip. And then comes a guy who hated Jesus Christ more than anybody on the planet earth at that moment hated Jesus Christ, who hated Christians more than anybody else hated Christians, who hated the church more than anybody else hated the church. His name was Saul, and Saul was a guy that was using the authority that the high priest had given him to round up Christians and throw them into prison and execute some of them. And then Saul hears that in Damascus, in Syria, there are Christians that are preaching. He gathers up some soldiers. He begins to go to Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, he is going to gather these Christians up. He is going to bring them, haul them back to Jerusalem and have them executed. But on his way to Damascus, something happens to him. He encounters Jesus. 
Jesus appears to him and speaks to him and rebukes him and Saul realizes Jesus was true all along. He really was the Messiah all along. And at that moment, Saul commits his heart by faith to Jesus Christ, and his life is forever changed. The persecutor immediately becomes the persecuted, and he changes his name from Saul to Paul, and God infuses him with power, the power of the Holy Spirit, and God uses Saul in a way that blows our mind today when we read the book of Acts. How in the world could one man be used in such a powerful way. No matter where you put your finger in the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28 or anywhere in between, put your finger at any chapter and begin to read. And here's what you'll read. It is a story about some other thing that the Holy Spirit of God is doing in the midst of those who are believing him. What I'm saying is this, that the book of Acts is truly the acts of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts of people in the book of Acts who are willing to yield themselves to God, to give up those areas of sin in their life that has been holding them back and willing to yield their heart fully to God. How did these men and women do so much in such a little time, have so much impact, it is because they yielded their hearts to God. And the power of God fell in their life. You read the book of Acts. It fell in their life because they prayed in groups. It's all through the book of Acts. Why did they do that? The greatest examples of prayer in the book of Acts are actually praying together as groups. And why did these early disciples to do it? Because praying together was modeled and practiced by Jesus. Those early disciples were taught by Jesus how to pray. And when you're going through the book, the Gospels, here's what you discover in the Gospels. 37 times Jesus is having another moment in which he's teaching his disciples to pray. But did you know that 33 of the 37 times is as a group, not individually? It is as a group. He is calling them to pray as groups. He wants them to pray individually, sure. Everything he teaches is applicable individually, but he is calling them to pray as groups. Let me give you an example. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus makes the statement. He says, keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. I've taught on this passage, I don't know how many times, and every time I've taught on it, it has been the application personally. You keep on asking. You keep on seeking. You keep on praying. God will answer your prayers. And it's true. But in the passage, the word you that is used, I, I didn't realize the word you that is used is in plural. And he is saying to all the disciples, you gather together and you keep on asking and I'll answer your prayer. You keep on seeking and I'll make sure you find. You keep on knocking together and I'll open the door before you. He was talking to a group to pray as groups. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, again, I assure you, if two of you on earth, 
agree about any matter that you pray for. It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. He is emphasizing come together and pray as groups. I'm hoping for a breakout at Sugar Creek Baptist Church. I'm hoping for this sense of, of the, the, the power of God falling upon this church as we are gathering together with each other and praying together. And this is what God has called me to do in this series. And I'm asking us, would we open our hearts to gathering with others in formal groups that we already are part of, maybe the connect group that you're a part of, maybe in, in, in choir and orchestra, that the first part of the choir and orchestra is a time of, of prayer. In our women's groups that maybe you're a part of, that the first part of that time is not just a quick prayer and get on to the Bible study, but it is a time of prayer together, of our men's groups, a time of prayer together when our kids come together in youth group, a time of prayer together and inviting friends to your house and opening your heart to praying together. I'm asking you, would you open your heart to doing it? Why? Because it is the key to the power of God in this place. Why is that? Because praying together in the New Testament was always the conduit for power. You go to the book of Acts, and you see it from beginning to end. The 120 that gathered together, they prayed for 10 days. Jesus was with them 40 days, and then he left. And for the next 10 days, they prayed together morning and night. They prayed and asked God to forgive them of their sins and cleanse their heart out. They asked each other to forgive each other where they had broken fellowship and relationships with each other. Would you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. And they got their relationships right with each other. For 10 days, they emptied their heart to God, and they opened their heart to God. And they said, oh, God, would you fill us with your spirit? And then on that 10th day, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell among them as they were praying together, and 3,000 people were saved. Then in Acts chapter 4, there is Peter and John. They've been preaching Jesus. They have been arrested by the religious leaders of the day and the high priest, and they come before him, and they've been beaten, and they've been whipped. And then the high priest says to them, don't you dare utter the name of Jesus of Nazareth publicly ever again. And then they cast them away. What did Peter and John do? Immediately, they went to the church. They told the church what had happened. You know what the church did? Immediately, they got on their knees and prayed. They didn't, woe is me. They didn't, oh, this is terrible. Oh, maybe this is wrong. Maybe we're going the wrong direction. They got on their knees to pray and listen to their prayer. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them that the leading, what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted up their voices together in prayer to God. They all began to pray to God in prayer. And here's their prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the, the nations so angry? Why did they waste the time, their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered against the Lord and against his Messiah. 
In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and even the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you have anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. What are they saying? Oh God, you are sovereign. You are Lord, and God, they're all coming against your Messiah and against us, but you are totally in charge, not them. And everything that is happening is your intention. You are the one in control. Next, verse 29, and now, O Lord, hear the threats and give your servants great boldness to preach your word. God, don't let us cower back. Give us even more boldness to preach the word of God, even against the opposition that comes against our lives. Verse 30, stretch out your hand with healing power. May the miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, you are the all-powerful one. God, show your power. Show your strength among us and in their very sight. We are totally dependent on you. And notice then what happens. Verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. Can I tell you what is not part of this prayer? In this prayer, not one time did they say, oh, God, please make them like us. Oh, God, please make them not, not hit us, not beat us, not whip us. Oh, God, make it easier for us. No, not one time. What they said to God is, God, give us the boldness to keep doing what you have told us to do because we know you're in charge, not them. They gathered together in prayer, and the Holy Spirit of God fell upon them. In Acts chapter 13, they're at this church called the Church of Antioch. By the way, the Church of Antioch looked just like Sugar Creek Baptist Church. Look around this building today. They were as ethnically diverse in the Church of Antioch as Sugar Creek Baptist Church is today. It's the most amazing church. And they were on their knees, and they were in prayer, and they were saying to God, God, show us what you want to do next. And it says that the Holy Spirit of God said to them, call out for me Paul and Barnabas so that we can reach the Gentiles for the name of Jesus Christ. Now, that might not even give a blimp on your radar until you stop and realize that 99% of us in this room are Gentiles. See, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And it was at that moment that God opened up the door to reach the Gentiles across the Roman Empire and beyond. And the reason that you and I are followers of Jesus Christ is because of this prayer meeting in Acts chapter 13 and what happens as an end result. And then in Acts 16, there is the Apostle Paul, and there is Silas and others, and they are in Philippi, and they get beaten up for no other reason than that they're preaching Jesus. And they are beaten up and whipped, and they are put in prison. And what did they do when they were in prison? And they're in chains uh, uh, attached to the walls. What did they do? They didn't cry and whine, oh, poor is me. Can you believe how mean people are to me? They began to praise God. They began to pray out loud. And what happened was that God 
God sent an earthquake and he tore loose those chains on their legs and on their arms and he tore open that, that uh, prison, uh, uh, prison door. And, and that jailer came in and he began to look around thinking they've got to be gone and there they were. And they said to him, don't kill yourself. That's what he would have done. He would have had to kill himself because his prisoners had escaped. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. And that prisoner said to them, how do I come to know this Jesus Christ that you've been singing about and you've been praying to? How do I come to know him? And that man was saved at that moment and his family, and it began a brand new church, the church of Philippi. What I'm saying is this. When the people of God get together and they begin to pray, we begin to pray, God begins to move. In story after story of corporate prayer, the key to the power of God is for the people of God to come together and pray. I want us to pray individually with God as we go through the 40 days of prayer and learn how to, to have a richer, deeper prayer walk with God. But I'm also asking you to understand this truth. There is great power that God wants to unleash on this church through praying together. And he has called me to say to you, it is time for us to begin prayer meetings all over this church began gathering as small groups all over this church and small groups in your house and small groups wherever we are and wherever we naturally have groups to put a greater emphasis on prayer. You don't have to have permission to start some prayer group. Just go start it. I'm asking us to begin praying individually and together. Our children, our teenagers, our adults, begin with your family. And let God begin to open up your heart. What would happen to our families if we began to pray together? Open up your heart to prayer. King David in Psalm 27 verse 8 says, My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, will I seek. Would you begin to seek the face of God? You say, if we start praying together, what in the world will we pray for? Tell the Lord that you love him. Pray for God's favor upon your marriages. Pray for God's empowerment of your home. Pray for God to impact this church with revival and spiritual renewal. Pray for your needs to be met. Pray for our church's needs to be met. Pray for the lost. Pray for people who are saved. Pray for people who are saved to grow spiritually. Pray for Christ-following Democrats and Christ-following Republicans to love each other and begin to pray for each other and pray for revival in America. Wouldn't that blow our, our country's mind? Begin to pray for whatever God lays on your heart because what he lays on your heart is what he wants to do. What he lays on your heart he, is what he wants to do in and through your life. So open your heart and say, God, I'm going to begin praying for what you're laying on my heart because I know the answer is yes. Listen to me. Every great movement of God in history came through corporate prayer, every one of them. Every spiritual awakening that has ever occurred has come by groups coming together to pray. I already told you about Jeremiah Lamphere in, in New York City in 1857. But in 1904, a young Welsh preacher named Evan Roberts began to pray for revival in Wales. God started laying on his heart, I want you to start praying for revival in Wales. 
And he said to God, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to gather a small group of people together and start praying. He got four other people, and they began to pray. Five guys began to pray. And as they were praying, God began to speak to their heart and said to them, I want you to go to this mining town in North Wales, and I want you just to go and start praying in that city. They didn't even know anybody in that city. And they went to the city and they started praying and they contacted the pastors and and the pastors started coming in those churches and praying with them and then their members started praying and hundreds of people started gathering to pray in that little mining town in North Wales and people started getting saved. The entire region began to change. Long-standing debts were paid. Stolen goods were returned. Some of the worst of the worst became followers of Christ. Miners in those mine shafts got saved and got their dirty mouths cleaned up so much so that the donkeys who were used to drag up the coal trucks through the tunnels could no longer understand what was being said to them because the only words that they knew were curse words and they weren't using those words anymore. They had to retrain all their donkeys to take these coal trucks up. Over the course of six months, 100,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. See, Pastor, is that what you're saying is going to happen in these 40 days of prayer? I don't know what's going to happen. I just know we're supposed to start praying. That's all I know. I know we're supposed to start praying individually and and, and increase and enrich our relationship with God through prayer. And I know that we're supposed to start gathering together in prayer, and I'm asking you to do it. I'm praying for revival at the Sugarland campus. I'm praying for revival at the Missouri City campus. I'm praying for revival for Richmond Rosenberg. I'm praying, I'm praying for brokenness in my heart. And brokenness in your heart and brokenness in our hearts together. Of anything and everything that is keeping us separated from the power of God to move in our midst. I'm praying for the outpouring of God in our church. I'm praying for the work of the Holy Spirit. I am praying for the provision of our Heavenly Father. I'm praying for our kids and our teenagers and our parents and our families. I'm praying. And I'm asking, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? And let's start praying. That God would change us and pour out His Spirit on this church. I'm asking you to begin praying every day in these 40 days for God to move in your heart. And I'm asking you to start praying as groups. However, whatever groups, I don't know all the groups. You just start one. And I'm asking us to pray. And there's some of you in this room today, and you're not part of a connect group, but you really could start next Sunday in a connect group and begin to get training in prayer and praying with that connect group. And if you want to, you can go to the Next Step Center in a few moments and say, I just connect me to some group. I want to get started. I believe 
that God wants to do something great and I don't know what it is. But I want it. I want it. And I'm asking you to come and go with me. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would move in hearts this morning. In some of the hearts that are here that do not know Jesus as Savior and don't even have the slightest idea what I'm talking about today, but there is this sense in their heart they want to know Jesus. And I pray, Father, that today they would give their heart to Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, for people that are visiting our church and what a strange message and and, and what a strange service, but yet there is a sense in their heart that this is their church. And I pray that you would bring them into fellowship with Sugar Creek. And God, for all of us that are a part of this church, God, I pray that you would begin a work in our heart and start cleaning us out and start bringing us together in prayer, in small groups, opening our heart to you. Move in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.